Welcome to the 421st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Simon Turney and Gordon Doherty, co-authors of the new book, Sons of Rome. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guests today are Gordon Doherty and Simon Turney author of the new historical novel, Sons of Rome. Gordon and Simon have written more than 50 novels between them. Gordon is the author of the Legionary and Stratego series and wrote the Assassin's Creed tie-in novel, Odyssey. And Simon is the author of the Marius Mules and Praetorian series, as, as well as the Damned Emperor and Tales of the Empire series. Gordon Doherty and Simon Turney, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks for having us. Great. If someone hasn't heard about your new novel yet, how would you describe Sons of Rome? Sons of Rome, it's a historical fiction novel set in the, the late 3rd century AD. Uh, this is a time of great change for the empire. So it's gone far beyond the days of the you know, famous names like Julius Caesar. And this is into a, a period when the empire was governed in a, a new system known as the Tetrarchy. This was a system designed to, to cut out the and end what had been uh, 50 horrendous years of civil wars and assassinations and usurpings and so on. And the, the, the Tetrarchy was designed, as I say, four emperors, one in the east, one in the west, uh, each of them with an underling. So the, the senior emperor was called an Augustus and he had a Caesar as his deputy and eventual heir. So that, that was the plan to try and calm things down with, after a very tumultuous period. And our two main characters, Constantine and Maxentius, came of age in this era. And this was a... Um, it, it's two men essentially groomed and destined for empire who are overlooked by the system and seize it for themselves. And then the conflict and the inevitable conclusion of a war between the two of them. And we should say as well, the, the Tetrarchy was designed to create harmony and it, it was an absolute disaster. So it went, the idea was four emperors and a clear line of succession and it ended up with four emperors and four other, four or more other people saying, no, I should be the emperor instead. And lots of war. <laughs> and 100,000 Roman dead. Yeah, yeah, just, just a small matter as well, yeah. <laughs> so what led you to co-writing this novel together? A few years ago, well, quite a lot of years ago now, Gordon and I met at a historical event that had been rained off and we ended up sat in the bar just discussing writing and what could and couldn't be done. And the very idea, because we'd known each other for a few years anyway, the very idea that we might be able to write something together cropped up and over the weekend, it developed into this idea that we could take two views on the same story and write that story just between us. The actual characters came later. We came up with the concept and then chose a, a set of characters and a period in history that would fit what we wanted to do. <laughs> and was this the first time that either of you had co-written a novel with someone else? For me, uh, certainly for me, 
Yeah, for me it was, yeah. I had to think about that there, but yeah. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the mechanical process of, of co-writing together? Did you outline the novel beforehand? Did you share a Google Doc? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'll- just say a couple of things and then lead Gorgon to, to deal with most of it. I'll just point out that I, I'm a little bit OCD, and I think Gordon wanders in the same direction. So between us, we're, we're always going to have a sort of carefully planned system of how we write. How that worked, gone, gone. <laughs> yeah, Simon's right. I, I like things. I like lists. I like order. I like strategy and stuff. I'm, I'm not one for with the Stephen King term, the, the pantser version of writing. I like I'm a, I'm a planner or a plotter. So yeah, we, we live quite far apart um, in terms of the... Great Britain, Simon in Yorkshire, and myself up in Scotland. So it all had to be remotely organised. And you suggested Google Docs, and I, I think we talked about that, Simon, back in the early days. But we thought we needed something just a little bit more uh, freeform, I would say. And, uh, yeah. So we went for Dropbox, just allows you to throw whatever you need to work with into a place and you know, share it. And to trawl back over months of deleted files if you've lost something important. Yeah, which is vital, because <laughs> we have lost things from time to time, just from the, the kind of manic ins and outs of everything. But yeah, just the collaboration side of it. We had an idea at that festival that was rained off, and then we went, we went back to our respective writing offices, i.e. Our, our homes, and got to work with the research, put together our, our research material in the Dropbox folder, and uh, formed a, a timeline document, which was I found quite vital. So it was we, we knew the period we were going to be working with and the rough start and end events, and then we kind of uh, fleshed out every year in between what happened, what were the key, the, the kind of major flashpoints and the turning points in that history, and that really kept us right as a, a roadmap that you know that then, then allowed us to create more detailed versions of that roadmap in the form of series plan, then individual book plans for book one, two, and three of the trilogy. And then for each individual book plan, we would break it down to chapters and in cases, uh, in specific cases, individual scenes. And sometimes individual conversations within those scenes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I, I find that is quite, you know, often chapter plans kind of result in just imagine dialogue that really capture the essence of it. So it might not have the every kind of direction the character takes in a room or something, but just a certain line can be the essence of that scene. So it's sometimes quite good to capture that in, in your planning docs. But yeah, that, that was it roughly. It was um, Dropbox working remotely, and then every so often we'd get together. With, uh, oh, that was what I was going to point out, yeah. You can do an awful lot of things with technology and email and Dropbox and things, but nothing beats sitting face to face and saying, but this, no, that, but what if he, this, no, what if she, that, and uh, probably every three months or so when we got through a certain amount of writing, Gordon and I would meet up and we'd just make sure that nothing needed adjusting, that, that the plot was still rolling the way it should, hammer out any little arguments that we might have about what should be happening and shouldn't be happening, just to keep everything on track, really. And it works. <laughs> and so what was the research process like for Sons of Rome? Were you both already familiar with this later period of the Roman Empire? Or did you have to do lots of reading and research? For me, 
my focus has always been earlier Rome, everything from Julius Caesar up to around the Severan era. So this is about a century after my focus, but it, it's still close enough that it feels like my Rome. And I know most, at least, of the social history of the time. As for Gordon... Yeah, so it's, I'm on the other side of the fence. So I had really <laughs> focused previously on the, the late 4th century, so the the time of the what they call the Great Migration, so the, the Huns moving from the, the steppe lands and pushing all of the tribes, the Germanic tribes and so on, against the imperial borders. And that time was very different from the, the kind of Republican era, the probably the Hollywood era. But yeah, so I was very familiar with the after effects of the time of Constantine the Great, way back, just over a, just under a hundred years before my other novels are set. So I had to kind of do a bit of backtracking, kind of unpicking the, the stitches to work out uh, the kind of the root situations that I was already familiar with. Yeah, it was really it wasn't so much starting from the ground up, the same as, as Simon describes. It was more just adjusting and correcting the perspectives to make sure we felt. And it's the meeting point for our two interests, really. Yeah, yeah, it was a perfect meeting point, I think. Sure. And I'm curious, given the research that you've done, not just for this book, but for uh, your other uh, books, if someone listening to this is is um, reading Sons of Rome and is interested in kind of this era or just the general sweep of the Roman Empire, are there a nonfiction book or two that you would recommend? Lots. <laughs> yeah, I've got a big list here. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, there's one that I found very useful. So one of the challenges I had from my side, so maybe we should mention that um, as Constantine the Great and Simon wrote as Maxentius, so it was alternating chapters. And one of the problems I had was uh, trying to understand who Constantine was as a person. We get a lot of history. Uh, a lot of the history comes from the hagiographers writing positively about Constantine as a saint, a great conqueror and so on. But the actual, to get under the skin of you know, the man himself, it was really difficult to find information about him. So to, to answer the question, there was uh, Constantine, the unconquered emperor, uh, by... I don't want to get the, the man's name wrong, so I'm just frantically looking up the... Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you with that, but it's Constantine, the unconquered emperor, gave some really... Uh, it shed a really nuanced light on him as a person by revealing some decisions he made, which weren't well known, but which really painted a, a, a strong picture of the person as opposed to the emperor, you know, the kind of public face. So that's my recommendation. For me, Maxentius, throughout the entire trilogy, spends the majority of his time in the city of Rome. Already being familiar enough with the social history, what I needed was a, a mental view of what... <sighs> the comfort of your favourite seat is now your comfy car-selling command centre, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Rome of Maxentius actually looked like, and without a doubt, the best book I've ever found for something like this is actually a book in French called Don la Rome des Césars. I forget who it's by. It, it goes region by region through the city of Rome and builds up a, a visual uh, map and description of each area in early fourth century Rome. And using it, I could picture every street and every location I was using in the book. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So do you two have plans yet to co-write other novels beyond this trilogy? Over to you, Gordon. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What we're trying to do is really just find the right time to, to, to do that. We've got an absolute corker of an idea, which is almost overwhelming because of the amount of world-changing things that happen in the, the, the era. I don't want to give it too much away by explaining the you know the, the exact premise, but Simon, I think you'll agree it's a, a bit of a, a potential blockbuster. The, the important great. thing was we wanted something we could do the same thing to, the, the same the way we could uh, work writing two characters in alternating chapters, telling the same great events. We wanted to be able to do that again and with the same dynamic of uh, two protagonists who were very familiar with each other. And really, when you look through history, there aren't many situations where you can do that. So having stumbled across what I think is the only milieu that could follow on from Constantine and Maxentius, we've got to go for it. <laughs> Great. We'll look forward to that. So what were your respective writing journeys that led you both to writing and getting your first novels published? We, we actually started pretty much together. Back in the two, early 2000s, there was a website that was a peer review website where you, writers, potential writers, could upload their work for other people to pull to pieces. <laughs> and Gordon and I were both on there, so we knew each other from square one. From that point, I tried to secure an agent. I tried to secure a publisher. I went down the traditional route of spending a small gross national product of a nation sending out paperwork to publishers for them <laughs> to send form letters saying, thank you, but we don't want this at this time. And in the end, I went for the self-publishing route and I happened to hit it at the right time just when the, the the bubble was expanding and really sold enough and got enough of a following that an agent found me so it went the other way around to how it traditionally goes that's great <laughs> <laughs> so what was your first novel that you published uh, I had Marius's Mules I wrote in 2003, which I finally released in 2009, having sent it to a thousand people at uh, three and a half pounds a, a, a post. <laughs> Gordon? 
Yeah, so I'm just nodding away and chuckling away here listening to Simon. It, it was the same journey for me, it really was. Mountains of paperwork and uh, envelopes and going out to buy stamps and going, oh, what's the point of this? And I don't know how many rejection letters I collected, but yeah, it was KDP or Amazon's self-publishing platform was really the the, the key to the door. It, it got my work out there. And I remember being in my day job and somebody doing air quotes, somebody caught me reading my one book on the Kindle, checking it, uh, proofreading it on the Kindle. And they said, oh, have you published a book on Kindle? How many have you sold? <laughs> Four. They walked away all, all happy with their joke. And that was my ambition was to sell four, no, sorry, to sell five books just to prove that. But I got to five and I thought, yeah, job done. But then I noticed yeah. people, people kept buying it after that. And I thought, wait a minute, I, th- I don't have that many friends. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just kind of, it, you know, it, it took off. And same as Simon, an agent phoned me, oh, can we publish this in Italy? And I was like, yeah. And that was the thing. Um, oh, sorry, it was a publisher, an Italian publisher got in touch with me directly and asked, can we publish this? And it I then went to one of the agents who had previously rejected me and said, oh, I've, I've had, had this communication from a such and such company and I was signed up and contracted within about five minutes. Totally reverse journey, but a good one. That's great. Given your respective journeys and, and you both having this experience of pre Amazon or pre-KDP or pre-self-publishing where you recounted that there were stacks of papers and you were mailing out partial manuscripts and query letters and, and not having much um, luck. What writing advice would you offer for those who are listening, who are working on their own stories and novels? Uh, for me, I would it would be don't give up and grow a really thick skin because you're going to get knocked from every direction and you just have to keep bouncing back and pushing and believing in your own work on top of which i would also say edit make sure that whatever you're sending wherever you're sending it is about as polished as it can be till you see your face in it yeah and and for me just thinking that one piece of advice i wish i had given myself was maybe to focus early on on very short fiction. I found that a very effective way to hone my style and discover my, my first draft of my, my book Legionary was 150,000 words and it, it was just it was a wild. It was, a, it was another, it was a demented roar in place of talent at that time. I was just trying to find my own voice and style and I was probably other people in places. And But what I found was things like flash fiction and short stories really just kind of focused the mind maybe something that's less than a page long or something. Focus on that, polish it to that that sheen that Simon's talking about and take that forward, the lessons you learn out of that forward into uh, more intensive, onerous work like a novel or a a novella. Yeah, less is more in certain circumstances when you're, you're just starting out, I think. Gotcha. So what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? At this particular moment, I'm reading, reading The Rose Code, yeah. which is the third. I'm just turning around to see if I can see the book. I've got it on here somewhere. Uh, Kate Quinn, she wrote uh, oh, The Huntress and I'm forgetting the first book, but it's fiction set during and just following the Second World War and the events of Bletchley Park and the, the code breaking. That's my current read. <laughs> That's great. Uh, 
Yeah, myself, I just recently finished Spartacus by Lewis Grassic Gibbon. I was really impressed and probably quite influenced by it. So, I, you know, there are a few Spartacus novels out there. There's Ben Keynes, which is excellent. Robert South, excellent again. Uh, this this take was it's written quite a long time ago. But I, I really, it took me a while to get into the rhetoric because it was more of its time, but it is really quite striking, quite poetic. One thing I found, actually, you probably find this yourself, Simon, but after reading it, I found myself writing in that style, just unconsciously. It was just it just came through. I've previously had that. I remember I read uh, Mice and Men a, a long while ago, and then I started writing my next legionary novel. And I had my 4th century AD legionaries talking in Steinbeck language almost. <laughs> what am I doing here? This <laughs> quite a bit, so I had to do a bit of editing there. But it's just that I think it's the mark of a good read when it does kind of nudge, nudge your own writing one way or another. Sure. Where can people find you two online if they want to learn more about your respective novels and Sons of Rome? Pretty much everywhere. I think we've both got to blogs we've both got websites facebook presence and twitter <laughs> yeah that's great i think if, if you hit google with either of our names you should get a little it's a kind of author profile just on the top of the search results and it should give you links to all of the books yeah. and our website and the simon says all of the social media great Great. Again, we've been speaking with Gordon Doherty and Simon Turney, author of the new historical novel, Sons of Rome. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Gordon and Simon, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you again. Thanks for having us. Thank you. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S. Check out Libro.fm today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.